I think the number one way for any podcaster to make money is to ensure they do have some way for their two parallel tracks to eventually converge, to eventually come together. I'm very good friends with an individual who makes over seven figures from his podcast. And I said to myself, seven freaking figures. Imagine that. He's in a very similar position. He's in the podcasting industry. He helps people grow their show. He has a course. I've done some affiliate stuff for him and he has a podcast. He has a course. They very much so converge. And then next thing you know, one thing leads to another. Hello, Pod Fam. What's going on? Welcome to another episode of Podcasting Success Secrets. We're here with Matt Labrie. He is the creator of the Decoding Success podcast, also helped Damon John launch his show. And who knows what we're going to talk about today, but it's going to be a fantastic conversation. Matt, thanks for hanging out today. Hector, you don't have to thank me, brother. I want to express gratitude to you for the opportunity to be here rocking with you. As mentioned before we started recording, I absolutely love what you're putting out into the world. And to be a part of it is definitely something I'm grateful for. So super excited to dive in. Let's bring some value, man. Yeah. Before we started recording, you talked a little about your story. And hopefully you don't take this the wrong way in the sense that I don't know that, especially for podcasters, this sounds diminishing. But I don't know that it's a unique story. Obviously, you did it in your own unique way. But I find that so many people kind of traveled that path that you went through, searching and looking for things and trying things to figure it out. And then they finally land on podcasting or content or they're able to find their voice. But it was this long, almost nonlinear process. So I would love for you to take us through your journey to getting here and you can include whatever it is that you like. But I think a lot of people are going to resonate to your story and how you were able to find your path and your voice and, you know, almost 300 episodes in. So can you kind of take us through that a little bit? A hundred percent, dude. In full transparency, I think I'm still trying to find the path, right? I don't necessarily think that it has been found. Like, yes, can I trek backwards and have a paved path at this point? Of course, anyone can. Hindsight is always 2020. But I think I'm still carving out what that path actually is. But I will say, listen, everyone experiences the polarities of life. You do, Hector. I do. Everyone tuned into this does. That is definitely something that I had personally experienced, whether it be in childhood watching parents get divorced, whether it be failed business ventures or blowing money to invest in ego or the successes of the world, like working with Damon John or anything in between, right? Dude, I got kicked out of high school twice. I failed out of college. I've been arrested. The list goes on. You know, it definitely was turbulent for a good portion of the time. And then on the flip side, it was very bright. Working with Damon was the experience that really helped me see what was possible for myself. And as mentioned to you before we started recording this, not just for myself, but for anyone. When you're in proximity of someone like that on a day-to-day basis, forget about the money, forget about being on TV, but what the gentleman's been able to accomplish in his life and seeing it firsthand. And I'm not even just talking about business. I'm talking about from like a personal perspective, seeing how he's been able to provide for his family, seeing how he's been able to provide for his staff. Like Those were things that I wanted to pursue. And I definitely left that job prematurely. It was something that I got thrown in the fire and had to figure it out in regard to, you know, launching his podcast, which I had never done at the time, producing a podcast, which I had never done at the time, developing content strategies across social, email, webinar, courses, books, all of that. Never did any of it before I started working with him. And I said to myself, if I'm helping this gentleman with his personal brand, I wanted to do it for myself. That led to me speaking all across the country, which was super cool. But also, as mentioned before, we started recording this 
also very stressful when you're a one-man team and don't have a road manager and you get stuck in Chicago but need to be in Fargo, North Dakota, and you're hopping from plane to plane. You're driving four hours in snow above your head. Pretty crazy shit. So long story short, man, I discovered podcasting for myself in December of 2018, and I had no clue what I wanted to do. I could sit here and tell you some sexy answer and be like, hey, man, like I wanted to start podcasting for this reason. Dude, I didn't have this reason. I had nothing going on for myself at that point because I just left my job. And I'm like, well, I had an intern at the time who became a coworker and still a very good friend to this day who was nudging me and saying, Matt, like you love speaking. You need a podcast. And I was like, dude, when the fuck would I podcast? I hope I can course. I hope you don't mind. Like, seriously, like when could I podcast? I work five days a week, sometimes six. You see me in the office with you. When am I going to podcast? Well, this was my opportunity. And I mean, what that's turned into is a brilliant thing. But I can't say that I saw that path before I started taking step by step. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I don't know who it is attributed to, but one of my mentors said that the path illuminates as you take the steps. It's kind of like that idea that you're not going to see the hundredth brick, but you might be able to start by taking one or two steps. And so let's go back to the Damon experience. And I'm sure you get asked about this a lot and we'll kind of stay here as long as you feel is right. But what was that experience like not having the experience to draw back on? And then also perhaps having some level of expectations or some level of pressure to deliver at a certain level. What was that like? And how did you navigate that whole process? Yeah, man, I think first and foremost, I think the most important thing to share, especially because you just touched on mentorship as well, proximity is power. That experience for three plus years of my life proved that to be true. Proximity is power. I can't tell you how much I feel like I personally grew how much I feel like I professionally grew in such short periods of time. From project to project, I saw myself growing. And then furthermore, after the fact, like after working with him, I'm like, damn, like who I was before this and who I am now, two totally different people. And of course, we could always look back and say that about years upon years of our life. I don't necessarily think there was any pressure though. It was self-imposed in the beginning because I felt like I was working for an individual that required a certain standard or a certain way of getting things done. But truth be told, I had a lot of creative freedom in this particular role, which allowed me to present ideas, which allowed me to find factual data to back up ideas, which allowed me to take feedback from other team members to create new ideas. There was a lot of freedom. When there was my self-imposed pressure, especially in the beginning of taking on that role, I don't know if you could resonate with this, Hector, but I'm curious to hear from you. Like, I feel like when there's pressure there's a lack of creativity. When you remove the pressure, creative juices can flow. Is that something that you've experienced? Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah, totally. In times of high stress, it's like I've got to find ways to mitigate that just so I can get back into flow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I really don't feel like there was pressure outside of, let's call it my first few months. After that, it was very free flow. I remember we were launching a book for him. And I had a coworker who is a truly tremendous individual. I'm so grateful for him. And he looked at me and he's like, yo, you know, I know today's book launch day. And he's like, just be calm. I'm like, dude, I'm good. Like I was good. Huge day, huge project, wanting to strive for those awards. But dude, you know, it was good. Everything was good. So after you get past that point, I felt like it was free flow. Yeah. Let's fast forward a little bit because what's cool now is that you're doing what you did for Damon as a part of his team. And now you have a practice that basically does that for other people. A lot of our listeners are indie podcasters or entrepreneurial podcasters. A lot of times they're not the 
call her daddies, the Joe Rogans, the ice coffee hours. They're looking to get to that place. But also, it's super important for those people to have a way for the show to make sense. It's got to feed something. Otherwise, it becomes this distraction. And I've seen too many businesses start a podcast that the podcast and the business are actually running parallel. They're like two train tracks that never, never cross over. So they don't actually pour into each other. Whereas the ideal is kind of like a waterfall where it falls off of one rock and then it goes down to the next. And so that way, all of the energy into the podcast feeds into their brand or their community or whatever it is. How do you think about that? And are there any big mistakes that you see podcasters or creators in general making when it comes to that whole thing? Dude, I mean, I think it's a necessity. And the reason I can share it as a necessity is because I actually don't do that. I think we all should do that if we could do that. So I think you're onto something tremendously. Oftentimes, people think the number one way to make money from a podcast comes from paid ads or advertisement revenue from a pre-post or mid-roll perspective. And while that could potentially be true to an extent, from an indie perspective, it's not the way to make money. We're talking about Joe Rogan and Call Her Daddy, and those are massive, massive shows. But to compare ourselves to Goliath at this particular juncture or where we are right now is really unfair to the progress that we are making. And we need to respect where we are in this given moment. So on that note, I think the number one way for any podcaster to make money is to ensure they do have some way for their two parallel tracks to eventually converge, to eventually come together. I'm very good friends with an individual who makes over seven figures from his podcast. And I said to myself, seven freaking figures. Imagine that. He's in a very similar position. He's in the podcasting industry. He helps people grow their show. He has a course. I've done some affiliate stuff for him. And he has a podcast. He has a course. They very much so converge. And then next thing you know, one thing leads to another. He puts out incredible free content. They sign up for this video. They sign up for this masterclass. They're now in the course, or they're at least taking calls with the team. Dude, like, it's a system that needs to be built, and it's not an easy system. I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do, but it is so damn possible and it is so damn necessary if, of course, because we didn't add this in there, if, of course, you have the goal of making money from your podcast, because a lot of people just like to podcast the podcast, and we have to keep that real, too. Yeah. I think you're right that there has to be some objective. They have to have some goal. There has to be some reason, even if it's self-expression. But on the other side of that, there's always that question of, do downloads matter? Well, I'm just curious when it comes to stats or downloads or numbers, like how do you fit that into your psyche? And then what role does that play with regards to quote unquote success? Yeah. Well, I'll be honest, Hector, you know, for years of my life, I derived my worth from external validation. So you're asking a recovering external validator a question <laughs> of that sort. And, you know, for me to say that I don't look at my stats, I'd be lying. If we don't look at stats ever, we can't track, measure, or improve. So we need to know what they are, especially if your goal is to grow your show, especially if your goal is to be able to acquire some sort of brand partnership with more downloads, whatever it is, right? If you have that goal, you have to at least look. But I refuse to look daily, which is something that I had previously done. I would look daily and then I'm like, wow, I'm getting 500 downloads today. I'm getting 1,000 downloads today. I'm, but wait, I only got 50 on Wednesday? Then you could start teetering with the idea of, oh man, like, is this even worth it? Or why am I not consistent? We don't necessarily have the utmost control of that. There are tactics to do to help you get more downloads without a doubt organically as well. I will put that out there. What I do is simply once a week, 
I do it every single Friday. Every Friday morning, 11 a.m., Sometimes I'll slip up and it'll be 11.15 and I track it from there. Same thing with social growth. I don't look at how many people follow me on Instagram every single day, but I do have a tracking document because I want to measure these things so that they can be improved. Without knowing what they are or where they stand, you just can't improve them. And that's my sole purpose of actually looking at those numbers is solely for improvement and less about validation. But I did mention I am someone that's recovering from that external validation. So if there's someone out there that's listening and they're in that boat, try to back off of it and be easy on yourself and pivot to like a once a week or once every two weeks or whatever it may be. Yeah. Such great advice about not checking your stats as often. I like the mindset that you have that you can't totally ignore them because ignorance is not helpful, but you can't be attached to me either. So there's some happy medium there. Are there other metrics or other measuring sticks that you're checking in with regularly to help see if you're going in the direction that you want to be going? Absolutely, dude. One of the most rewarding things as a podcaster, and I'm really curious to know how you feel about this because I actually did this in regards to this particular show, is receiving messages about it. I think that is the number one moving the needle tool or measurement stick for me personally. Now, am I getting a thousand messages a day? I'll be fully transparent. I'm not. But when I do get messages... That to me is like the number one thing. I prefer to get messages than to see my stats. And of course, we just discussed the importance of actually knowing the numbers to it. But if I'm on Instagram, if I'm on Twitter and I see someone tweet the podcast, or if I see someone slide in my DMs and say, wow, this was great, or share it on their Instagram story or their LinkedIn feed, or funny enough, like I literally had random people in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, as I was walking, come up to me and tell me they listen to my podcast. Like if I'm getting that feedback, to me, that is the number one thing. Just to know you listened to a specific episode, you took this specific point away from it. That to me is powerful. I don't necessarily care. And it's not to say that I don't care, but for you know the sake of conversation here, I don't need to know my retention rate. I just want to know people are actually being impacted by it because that's why I personally set out to do my show. I didn't set out to do my show for the sake of making money or whatever. Like I told you earlier, like I use this as a tool of mentorship for me. I use it as a tool to make an impact, which is something that really lights me up and feels like it's giving me some form of purpose. And through the process of that, I realized what is possible with podcasting. So of course, that's where the money comes in and all of that good stuff. But man, when I receive a message, dude, it lights me up. I'm curious how you feel about that because I literally did that to you. I sent you a whole video about what I feel about this pod. I was like, dude, I love this. Yeah. I had a client who told me that she would save them all. And when things were getting tough, she'd go back and she'd look at them and remind, you know, because podcasting is a very siloed medium how it's created and then also how it's consumed. With an Instagram reel or a TikTok, the comments are right there underneath. And of course, that's starting to happen. There's a little bit of community building on Spotify. But otherwise, everybody is so siloed in their enjoyment of it. And so when someone reaches out, it goes a long way. A, because it doesn't happen all the time, but you know that they have to hit a certain threshold to do that. And I think that that is a good indicator that something is resonating. Oh, 100%, dude, right? I mean, it just lights me up because as a creator, you're a creator in numerous capacities. You're on podcast number three. So you've been around the block many times. As a creator, you just mentioned it. We don't necessarily know who's listening to our podcast. A download statistic, whether it be unique or IAB, like we don't really know who those 100 people are, 1,000 people are, 10,000 people are. When you're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, all of these platforms, you know who they are. So as a creator in the podcasting space, when you receive that message, 
and it just lights you up because if you're being vulnerable on a show, if you are adding value on a show and next thing you know, it's received like what you did earlier. Remember how I gave you a compliment and you received it, dude, that is one of the best things that you could get for me, at least it's a huge measuring stick. Even just hearing like out in the wild that people are listening to your show. Like earlier today, I had another client who was saying like, we launched the Modern Masculinity Podcast this week. And just the fact that he was listening, like that same thing, I got that same energy. I think that we talk about external validation as much as I'm going through that journey as well. I think it feels good sometimes to know that people are enjoying what you're putting out there, right? Is it necessary? Do you need it? No, but I think it is helpful. Oh, yeah. And there's healthy external validation. There's definitely healthy. There's not healthy, which is like where you're fully deriving your worth from. And I've definitely been there where it's like, oh, wow, I'm not good enough unless I have this. Or then on the flip side where it's like, you know what? moving forward, putting this good stuff out into the world. And then next thing you know, someone hits you with some sort of message. And it's like, wow, you just reassured me on what I believe to be true. I definitely think there's healthy and there's unhealthy. I've definitely been on both sides of that spectrum, but I try to flirt more with the healthy side. That's without a doubt. Take this last part of the conversation and talk about some tactics. When it comes to improvement or growth, even effect, right? The ability to actually create a change in your listener. Anything where you smack your forehead and you're like, damn, if they only knew this, or if you just did this, like this would move the needle so much. Are there things like that, that you see mistakes that you see a lot of creators or podcasters make that if they fixed it might go a long way? Yes, this is potentially going to get deep. And listen, I'm in the personal development space. So I have to speak from the space that I dabble with. I can't speak from automotive space or something. I don't operate there. So I'm speaking from the personal development space. And it's very easy to argue that it's a saturated market, which is fine. I would rather it be saturated than unsaturated because I would love for Hector to find someone that he resonates and for Matt to find someone that he resonates because we might resonate with two different people. So one thing that I really feel like would move the needle forward on so many more podcasts in potentially more than just the personal development space is what I would refer to as homecoming. I seen this firsthand with myself. The more I came home to who I am at my core essence versus who I thought I was because of the conditioning of the world, my parenting, meaning how I was parented, how I was influenced as a kid, whether it be from music or the people I was around, homecoming drastically moves that needle forward. And I saw it firsthand with my show personally. That's why I'm speaking this. The more I turned inward, the more my show grew. The more I turned inward, the deeper questions I could ask my guests, the more value I would then be able to provide them through those questions, through my rebuttals. I can't say that people aren't turning inward because I'm not in every single podcaster or every single creator space. I don't live in their head, but I feel like if more people did take that journey, I feel like there would be a lot more impact. There would be a lot more downloads. There would be a lot more results that they're looking for. And I can give you a million and one tactics from a marketing perspective of which I've done to actually grow the show. But I think that is actually one of the most unlooked at ways to grow. Well, yeah, none of the other things matter if you don't have that. If someone is going to sit with you for a half hour, they're going to we'll call it whatever you want, a bullshit detector or a whatever. I mean, if you're inauthentic, that's going to, whether explicitly or just intuitively, they're going to sense that. And I think that so much of a podcaster's first, we say it's usually like in between 25 to 50, that first year, you're just figuring it out, figuring out who you are and then what your unique angle is. I've found that 
this framework that's been helping me is helping people to position themselves within the podcasting space. Because you mentioned that some people could think that it's saturated. I don't know that I agree with that, but there are a lot of shows out there. And so if you don't distinguish yourself intentionally, you can just get lumped into the crowd. When we're trying to help people with it, they're like, well, how do I do that? And I think that there's three elements that people can play off of. There's the audience, which everybody's going after the same audience. Maybe you're going after CEOs or entrepreneurs or whatever it is, but that audience is there. Where you can differentiate yourself is the topics that you talk to that audience about and then the perspective that you bring to them. So with those three variables, unless you are your own person, you're just going to look like everybody else. Unless you figure that out, it's just going to blend in with all the other shows. Yeah, I reference a quote oftentimes by the world's most famous doctor, in my opinion. He said, there's no one in the world you were than you. And how true is that? Like, how different are we all? But how often do we try to all be the same? You could have the same people on your show, but we could have very different conversations. And I'll be honest, man. By the way, that was Dr. Seuss that said that. But I'll be honest, like, you know, when I had first started my show, I was so robotic that one thing that I would personally do, and I'm openly admitting this publicly right now, I would watch interviews of people that I was hosting and essentially replicate interviews they've previously been on just for the sake of streamlining my process. And that I thought was like some sort of cheat code, but it was actually hurting me because where was my curiosity? Where was my personal touch? I thought because Ed Milet asked these questions that Matt Labrie should also ask these questions. And then I don't know what happened. Just one day I was like, dude, you need to stop doing that. Do I still watch my guests on other people's platforms? Yes, I do. But I do it for different reasons. My intention for doing that now is to understand their communication style, to understand their tonality, to understand where conversations could potentially go, to understand how they might have answered a certain question. And if I had a rebuttal to that certain question, I would then ask that on my show. You know, the intention is different. But what I'm getting at here is we're all so different and we need to own that. There's no one else like you. Own it. This has been so fun. And I'm glad we got connected. I'm glad the algorithms brought us together. <laughs> As we look forward, though, what are you most excited about when it comes to podcasting? Or maybe in creatorship in general, this can be something that is foundational and unchanging, or it could be new tech or new tools or whatever. What gets you excited? Or what are you looking forward to with regards to the space? This is going to be an unconventional answer. Uh, I hope you don't mind. Very unconventional. But I am most excited to bring old school marketing tactics to new media such as podcast. I'm going to give you two examples. These are two things that I've personally done for my show. Very unconventional, but one thing that I did a few years back and I need to do more of, I still kind of do it, but I need to do more of it. Whenever I host an individual on my show, if they have a book, we'll use Mel Robbins as an example. She's an author as well. What I'll do is I have bookmarks that I created I could actually grab you one and show it to you. It says, you found this ultra rare bookmark, scan me. And it has a QR code with something that links directly to my show. So if you scan it, it's a smart link. So whether you have an Android or an iPhone or this or that, it will go directly to a platform that's compatible with your phone. And what I do is I take those bookmarks, old school guerrilla marketing tactic, take those bookmarks, go around to local areas in which I am, and I put them inside of the books of the people that I have on my show. This has been proven to work 
It's not something that's going to get you a million downloads overnight. I'm really not trying to get in trouble by like Barnes and Noble or Amazon Books or any of these companies that I'm doing this at. In fact, I've shared this publicly before, so I feel comfortable doing it now. But dude, I get excited to get creative. I'll give you another example. I'm six foot five. I live in New York City. When I walk around, we're our own billboard. We really are. And we need to embody that mindset. So one thing I do, I actually have it right next to me. I'll show it to you really quickly just took a huge pause, but like you got to get creative, dude. It's one thing to put your podcast on a shirt, but it's another thing to say your girlfriend listens to my podcast. It's not to be an asshole. I don't want to be an asshole. Like, yeah, it's a little douchey of a t-shirt, but now when someone behind me sees this and they catch up to me and on the front, it says my podcast name, dude, I just get so excited to get creative. This is like guerrilla marketing 101 give these shirts out. How much does it cost to make a shirt if you're buying them in bulk? This is a very good quality shirt nonetheless. How much does it cost to do that? And if you're really serious about your show, like getting creative with bookmarks or with t-shirts, there's honestly so many ways you can go about it. Another thing that I wanted to do and I didn't do is going to a coffee shop. For example, if you have a podcast that's geographically focused for, I don't know, Philadelphia and your show's all about Philly. Well, how about you go around to the coffee shops in Philly and create little coasters with the QR code to your podcast, especially if they're Philly focused. What coffee shop, privately owned, of course, is not going to accept free coasters. Little things like that, dude, it just amps me up. I get so excited about that. I could talk about that stuff for days, but bringing old school marketing tactics to new media, dude, that's what it is for me. I'm 31. Are you comfortable saying how old you are? I'm 30. Okay, so we're about the same age. So we came up around the same time, and one of my first businesses out of college was I opened up a sales organization, and we would put out thousands of little flyers hand-to-hand. You're out there doing non-traditional things. Well, the reason I bring that up is those things that back in 2009, 2010, when I was doing it, it was at the end of the run. Everybody was kind of doing that. But now everybody's gone digital and all of those traditional, whether it's direct mail or these flyers or like what you're talking about, in-person activations, there's so much room for that because not everybody is doing them anymore. They've moved on to these other things, socials or TikToks or whatever, but there's so much room in the gray space and the white space to play. Oh, dude, you hit the nail on the head. And in fact, you're rekindling that thought in my mind just by sharing that. Because think about it, man, when you post a clip on Instagram, how many people does it actually reach? It doesn't reach all of your followers. I wish it did. It does not. You might get lucky if it's a real and it might reach X amount of people beyond that. But if you're in a major city, if you're not even in a major city, and you have the ability to get creative and go out of your way and do something in person, how about events? The pandemic's over. Throw an event, networking event, something, do a coffee, a wine tasting, whatever. There's just so many ways to go about it, man. And like you said, not many people tap into it because now what's easier to tap into is at our fingertips all day. But if you get creative and you go beyond what's at your fingertips, you never know what could happen. So cool, man. For the sake of our listeners and keeping these episodes drive time, we're going to have to bring you back on and talk more brass tactics because this is good stuff. But if people want to get more into your world, follow up with you, listen to the pod, where's the best place to go? 
Yeah, man. I'm definitely one of the people that's on social media way more than I should be, but I'm on Instagram and Twitter the most. Twitter has been newly re-emerging for me. My handles are at M-A-T-T underscore L-E-B-R-I-S. That's at Matt underscore Labrie. And then the podcast is everywhere, man. We're on all major podcasting platforms. It's called Decoding Success. We put out an episode a week. I have some really incredible people, the likes of Mel Robbins, the Grant Cardones of the world. I have some pretty deep conversations in the process of making an impact. So we'd love for people to hop over there. And I definitely appreciate it, Hector. I want to express gratitude and I can't let that go unsaid once more. I appreciate what you're doing with this show. Like I said, I'm excited to check out the new show. So, uh, dude, I just wanted to say thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, man. All you listeners, pod fam, thanks for sticking with us. Go get connected with Matt. I just followed him on Instagram. We're connected on Twitter already. So come hang out with us there. If you guys know another podcaster, send him this show. Let's grow the tribe together. Yeah, go out and take some action on it and let us know how it goes. But until then, keep publishing. We'll see you next time. Later, y'all.